0: podcast is part of the sports social podcast network we're working in partnership with beer 52 across the next few podcasts to get a free case of eight unique beers head to www.beer52.com forward slash wisdom or use the code wisdom at beer52.com when ordering and cover just the postage cost of five pound ninety five beer 52 is the world's largest beer club with over one hundred seventy five thousand active members Each month, members are sent a case with a different theme. Past themes have included Belgium, North and South Korea, California, New Zealand, and many more. We've been sampling some of them over the last week, and um, yeah, they they're excellent. Your package comes with a magazine as well as two snacks, and if you don't like dark beer, you can choose the light option. You can pause or cancel your subscription at any time. So head to www.beer52.com forward slash wisdom to order your package today. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. England bounce back in style at Headingley to level up the series with two tests to go. Do India's batsmen need to go back to play more Ranji Trophy cricket? Is 100 actually the perfect preparation for England's batsmen? We'll be answering those questions and more and talking about a very busy week in county cricket. I'm Yasrana, and with me today is former England cricketer Mark Butcher, the magazine editor of Wisdom Cricket Monthly, Joe Harmon, and the features editor of Wisdom.com, Tar Hashim. Had the rain stayed away, England could conceivably have lost the first four tests of the home summit. There were seven tests without a win going into Headingley and had a horror final day at Lords. Butch, how do you think England were able to turn things around so emphatically in one day of actual cricket? I have no idea whatsoever. Um, It's it's the maddest game sometimes.
1: Um, You know, make a couple of changes in selection, Uh, bring in Milan at number three, Hesseb. Who we've all in the pod been saying should be opening the batting since Doomsday, um, and then suddenly the, you, you know you end up with you end up with an opening partnership of over a hundred. I mean, when was the last time that happened? And, um, and Joe Root makes another sublime hundred, um, and and, and the, then the bowlers go and do what they have been doing pretty much for the summer. I mean, the bowlers have been largely blameless byring the um, <coughs> the madness at Lords on uh, whatever day that was, day five. Um, and suddenly, England are like a test team again. I mean, I can't. There's no. <clears throat> there's no real explanation for it, is there? I mean, it does. It does sort of your intro there in the question, um, rather in a rather tongue-in-cheek fashion, pose the uh, pose the, the, the dilemmas and the conundrums that people have been throwing at it. You know, England have played more red Bull cricket leading into the New Zealand series than at any other point, and were utterly hopeless. They played nothing but the hundred. Um, prior to the Le- the Lord's test match, and we're utterly hopeless. They've done absolutely nothing else but wait until the next test match start, and we're utterly brilliant. So <clears throat> none of the things, none of the reasons given for why um, for why we've been so bad, barring you know some players who are perhaps n- not good enough um, in terms of the batters, and uh, some others who are horribly out of form. That, those are the only things really to explain mm. what's going on, and they uh, they had a great game. A great game, and in India we're, we're,
0: were spineless, which is not something you say about them very often. Mm. Joe, I... I- it kind of feels that the feel of a team can change quite quickly when you have a couple of batsmen in the top four who look like they're in nick. Milan came in and looked very, very good. Uh, Burns found some form again in Hamid with a really impressive 60. That suddenly looks like a much more stable team than it did 10 days ago.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I thought... We've always felt with this England team that there are enough good players in there that they can pull off wins when you don't expect them, because they have got those players in their side. But what I don't think any of us expected was such a complete team performance. There were so many players who stuck their hands up and, and performed well. They weren't just riding off the back of Roots Brilliance, although there was more of that. And it wasn't just uh, Anderson's genius, although there was a bit of that as well. Uh, this was everyone chipping in and, and, as you say, having a top four all-maker score. Uh, I mean, there were some stats flying around. It was the first time since a, a test match against Bangladesh that, uh, that
0: no New Zealand in 2013 right. where Steve Finn scored 56 as a nightwatchers. Night-watcher. Yes, <laughs> yes <course>. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So a different world we're talking about, <laughs> basically. Uh,
2: yeah, I think there's England should should and will take great heart from that performance uh, and also from the performance of India who suddenly just fell to pieces. I mean. England's bowling rightly got lauded in, on that first day. They bowled brilliantly, but if India's batsmen played some of the, sh- in, sorry, if England's batsmen played some of the shots that India's batsmen did, we would be hammering them right now. So I think it's only fair that we, that we call them out as well. There's some really poor, poor shots in amongst some excellent bowling. So yeah, amazing. It's a, it's a big turnaround. And now, uh, if, if I, pretended to know what was going to happen at the Oval, it would be nothing more than that. Absolute pretense. It could go either way. And it's, it's been a great series because of that.
0: Yeah, on India's batting, 78 all out after winning the toss and batting first on the first day. And then despite a really good day with the bat on day three, they, they did collapse in a heap again. Um, that India batting up is full of so many big names, but it's its so brittle once the, the top two or three go. Yeah, and it, it's a weird one because after what happened in that first
3: day, you just saw, okay, the game's kind of, gone here but in, India actually fought back quite well I thought with with the ball when they were you know against that England sort of middle order lower order they they got through that and then you know Rohit, Rohit batted well and then you know Pajara came into his own it was it was the first time in the series that we kind of finally saw him ticking and he, he got to got to 91 brilliant obvious legs Coley was at the other end and it kind of felt like right we've lost this game but we're still we've, we've still got a series to win and we've still got a chance here to to make some runs to to get ourselves into position and you know, have some sort of a momentum. But it was always the question was, you know, they finished that day with at overs on the board. So the question for day four was, can you get through an hour, two hours of the new ball? And this is where the real problem lies with that indie batting with the new ball. And with, with when when you've got Robertson and Anderson who have been England's two best bowlers in the series by by distance, and they just immediately from the get go that day where. Robinson and Anderson sort of piled on the Maidens, it was like, okay, I, c- I can't really see this. Can't really see them getting through this. And then they just they just went through them. And, and then, you know, two or three wickets, it just became sort of inevitable. And, and everyone joined in on the fun. Moeen joined in on the fun. Overton joined in on the fun. So to just go back on England, I mean, who saw this coming a few weeks ago where you've got Moeen Ali is suddenly England's number one spinner again. He came back from the winter and we thought that was his test career done. Down would Milan, Mead making half centuries. You know, they, you know who saw them coming back in, you know, this summer? Besto yeah. coming in as keeper. <laughs> 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 I mean, I saw both, of them, go, both but, of them play it. But it's just, it's it's remarkable how things have shifted. And, you know, Chris Silva got his his two selections spot on for this test, didn't he? Bought brought in Milan and Overton and both, both performed. I mean, it's quite, it's just quite remarkable.
0: In the office last week, we were comparing this series to a couple of uh, similar series in years gone by and debating whether... Or not This feels more like the 2010-11 Ashes when Australia won the third test <laughs> by low to level the series up and then lose it 3-1. Or the 2014 England-India series where uh, England will 1-0 down after 2, win the third and then go on to win that 3-1. What does this feel more like to you? No, well, neither one of those two, to be <laughs> honest. Because, you, still, because you,
1: can, you can still imagine um, England batting first perhaps at... Or, batting first perhaps at the Oval on a slate grey sky like this and getting knocked over for 200 again. I mean, nothing... A good one good performance doesn't suddenly mean that all of those issues have gone away. Um, and you can also see, on a, on a, on a bright blue sunny day, Anderson and, and Robinson not making a breakthrough and India making 500, you know what I mean? You could, both of those things are still infinitely possible. One of the... I think one of the, the, the great... Um, one of the great sort of lies about uh, around uh, around about England and their bowling potency is when the conditions are like they are at uh, Headingley i mean obviously jimmy anson is an absolute sort of genius etc but those conditions are are absolutely unique to certain days in certain places in the uk they kind of do they mean that england <laughs> In Brisbane on on day two three when it's burning hot and the pitches and doing nothing are going to be able to, to, to knock over a terrible Australian batting lineup probably not you know, so um, it's just the beauty of this, this whole thing is this, is is its unpredictability but I I think I think England have still got another you know another Rick in them with, in the batting, and if Joe you know if Joe Root doesn't make a hundred which I know <laughs> seems ridiculous to say that at the moment but he might not he might not make a hundred again um, in this series uh, then. You know, England is still still looking for some sort of solidity there. And don't, don't get me wrong, it was wonderful to see the way that the, the two openers played. Great to have a, an experienced guy, a campaigner come in there at number three, who kind of who's got a lot of first class runs behind him. Albeit, you know, his record isn't great in the UK, but it's Test match cricket, and the ball doesn't always. It's not like playing at Lords for for Middlesex, and I, I'm happy to see him there. Um, and he will make the most of
0: it because there's nothing like getting a second chance at that level, as, mm-hmm. as I can attest. I I thought, Milan's innings was quite interesting because uh, you mentioned his not great home record in his first stint at the side, but actually the pace with which he backed with I thought was quite interesting. In his first stint, he was his strike rate was Sibley-esque, actually, and he got really bogged down. Um, and to come in and do so well from the get-go because in that session when he came in on the second morning, Hamid and Burns were really bogged down and barely scored and he actually shifted the momentum of that morning that could have swung quite a lot further in India's direction. I thought he was he was really good.
2: He just, he looked so impressive, didn't he? I mean, I think he he batted as, as well as he did when he scored that 100 out in Australia. Um, he looks a bit he looks a bit calmer, which I thought was interesting, given there was so much at stake. That he, given that he feels like he's got so much to prove, but I think he didn't really see this opportunity coming, and it, it feels like he's perhaps putting a little bit less pressure on himself this time. He's also got that, um, even though it's a different format, he's got that confidence of runs in international cricket that he's, you know, the number one T20 batsman in the world that doesn't really count for anything when you're facing a Jukes, but it, it might in your head. Um, and I thought him, yeah, that him and Root partnership. They just didn't look like getting out, actually. It took that kind of tickle down the leg side to eventually uh, remove Milan. Uh, hugely promising. And he's probably come in at, at just the right time with a view to the, the future challenges as well. You know, if he'd come in at the start of the summer, he might have had a tricky time and been dropped by now. As it is, he's got, what, two tests before uh, a first Ashes test. Uh, and he's, I would say, he's now nailed on to about three in that first Ashes test now. Uh, I mean, there's not much you can do in two test matches to lose that position, to be honest. Uh Especially when he's got runs behind him in Australia.
0: Tar, mm. so how nice was it to see Hasiba Mead score his first Test match fifties in 2016? It's been waiting five years for it, <laughs> weren't we all? Um, yeah, it was just it was, it was just quite surreal, wasn't it? It was just almost a case of you thought,
3: oh, this day potentially was never going to come, and I, it was weird when uh, when you know we saw him play at Lords and you know he got out cheaply on two occasions, and it was always kind of like hit me. What if he's not actually that kid? <laughs> I'd always just assumed oh he's he's going to be fine once he gets back into Test cricket, um, and then there was there was something nervy about watching him that day. Um, but he was yeah he was he was impressive. I mean he he was he was kind of gifted with the way Ishan Sharma was bowling on that well, first I was day. Gonna say
2: Kohli would have been furious with the way they yeah. bowled at him. Yeah, uh, and also partly there was very few short balls, which I mean surely Kohli would have been in in charge of that if he felt that there was a shortage. But that didn't, it didn't seem to come from. From that point of view, and yeah, there were too many boundary balls to, for Hamid just for him to relax. And then I actually, saw the next morning they bowled much, much better, him and he, and he just got completely stuck. And eventually, he he, he got out when it, it felt like that was inevitable. India will be thinking, why didn't we bowl like that to him on, on day one? And it could have been very different. Now he's got a bit of form, he's got a score behind him, and, and Test cricket probably feels a very different place to him.
1: It don't, one thing that's interesting about that, though, is that is it a, given a, given a similar set of circumstances. Um, and this is a little bit of poor old Dom Sibley bashing, I'm afraid. But given given that they'd bowled the same at Sibley as they did at Hamid, would would Sibley have been able to take advantage to the extent that, that Hamid did? I saw some, you know, I saw some stuff in the newspapers about, oh, you know, he's going to have to learn how not to get stuck on the second day. Well, he's got 60 behind him. And he played <laughs> really fluently the day before, um, with the emphasis on really fluently. You know, okay, they didn't bowl great, but that hap- that does happen sometimes. But you can you could have bowled similarly, you would say at Dom Sibley, and would he have? Would you have got to sixty, like sort of like flashing the ball around to the boundary, yeah. through off and leg side? Probably not. So you know, you've already there's already an improvement there, isn't there? Um, and of course, he has yeah. he has things to learn, and, I, and we'll get better. You hope.
0: I think that is fair, but equally, Hamid did end day one with a strike rate of about forty five, and he was helped by a lot of bad bowling. So well,
1: forty five for for a, 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 an opener who is not Michael Slater, or you know, it's it's pretty. And that also You'd doesn't the would, would
2: Sibley have put away those bad balls is, is the yeah. point, wasn't it? And I, there are certainly a couple of shots that come to mind of Hamid that I I haven't seen Sibley play mm-hmm. in test cricket. Um, yeah, that's definitely when, fair. He, when he
3: was, you know, f- playing flash and cuts, it was like maybe Dom Sibley might have left those. And he was, you know, Sieber Mead was, you know, he was, he was taking advantage of
0: the polling that was on offer. That's all you can really ask for, right? Jack Rutherford asks... We hear so often from prominent voices in the game that the schedule pitches system don't allow for the development of international class test batsmen in England. But how is that the same first-class system that's been able to prepare so many bowlers who seem capable of performing at test level, thinking not just of Anderson abroad, but the likes of Overton, Wood, Stone, and in particular Robinson, who use the domestic first-class system to really hone their skills over the years. Um, I think that's particularly interesting on Robinson, who started his his test career um, incredibly well. Um I know that he's done very well in the first class cricket, but he's been almost one of England's most dependable players in the first four tests of his career.
1: Well, I mean he's he's very good, isn't he? I mean he's a um you know, a throwback I suppose to to the days of guys like Gus Fraser and whatever, who are just brilliant line bowlers, hit the top of off time and again, full moves one way or the other. Um, you're in business. Um and England should have absolutely should have myriads of guys who who do that. You know, Overton is in the same sort of mode. Um, the, the pitches that that are played on in first-class cricket absolutely encourage people to be that accurate and that good, not particularly quick, but that accurate. So, uh, you know, the game is pretty much set up for those guys. You look at the blokes who are taking it, you know, we're talking that pace and slower anyway. The guys in uh, in first-class cricket who are taking, taking shed loads of wickets at, at very few runs per wicket, and it's them. So that, you know that's that's that the game is entirely set up for people that, that like that. Um, you know, Ollie Robinson. Let let's hope that um, you know he he becomes a Josh Hazelwood when we go to, to go to Australia, etc. and can and can be as effective when the ball will not move as much laterally as it does in England. That's the test, really, as to whether or not that sort of producing that type of bowler is whether that's any good for you in international cricket. My my experience tells me it's not. Particularly, which again is not to say that Ollie Robinson won't be, because we don't know that yet. But generally speaking, that type of bowler has not been wildly successful anywhere other than juke ball, big seam nibbling pitches in England. So the the jury's out on him, but on that as a as a general rule in in first class cricket, it hasn't helped us out a massive amount.
0: Yeah, that that, that that's all fair. But do you think that sometimes we overly We've talked before how we overly obsess over the Ashes in particular. But if you play 50% of your test matches at home, mm. if you've got guys who are brilliant in home conditions, isn't that quite a good thing? Like India with Axel Patel, for example, he's not going to play a test match overseas. I know he only played because Jadeja was injured. But that's mm. fine, It right? is,
1: but your, batter, but your batters don't score any runs either, do they? Mm. I mean, that's kind of the that's the flip side of that is... Is that if, and I'll mention his name, if dear old Darren Stevens is still knocking him over at, at seventeen in the in the championship, there's a very good chance that you've got a whole generation of batters who don't know what it's like to find the middle of the bat mm. or to make make runs. You know, we'd, we were talking, um, Rob Key and I were talking about sort of like the what the what the the guide to a good season was sort of twenty years ago. You know, the turn of the century and stuff. And if you didn't make a thousand runs, it was you'd had a poor year. Sixteen championship games. Now nobody gets within a bull's arse of a, a thousand runs, not even close. So you know the the, the the people who are the people who are sort of making a massive impact are guys who are bowling at Steve O's pace, nibbling it around and off stump, and the batters are all struggling like mad, um, desperate. Well, the sensible ones are desperate to get away from places like Lords and. Um, you know, you mentioned you mentioned any other places like Nick Gubbins has just gone to to Hampshire to go and play play on a half decent track and they scored hundred. You know, mm. the first game. Mark Stoneman's gone from the Oval to Middlesex and made a duck in his first match. You know, you got to pick very carefully where you want to yeah. go and play your four, four day cricket if you're a batter.
0: What do you think has changed though in the last twenty years? Then, well, I
1: mean, they've done. I tell you what's happened. There's been an attitude change, and the thing is, I've been around long enough to have watched it work to watch this happen before. Exactly the same thing. Whereby the 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 counties or the people making decisions about what happens in first class cricket get a little bit spooked about the idea of draws being played and draws being played out. Members don't like it, boring cricket, etc., etc. And so they do things to spice the game up a little bit. You know, you'll leave a bit more grass on, or you'll ban the heavy roller, or you'll you know get rid of the toss, whatever it might be. All of which have the unintended consequence of making batting very very difficult, of making bowling um, a much more pleasurable exercise, i. e. can you pitch the ball somewhere near on a length and you'll get rewarded for doing that, and you don't have to do a great deal else. All of which then has a knock-on effect, whereby batters aren't batters don't score any runs, you're struggling to find people to make any runs at test match level because everyone feels like they're out of Nick the whole time and their techniques are all over the shop. um and and then you get a full sense of security as to how good your bowlers are when you play when you when they play somewhere else. And this pattern has happened at least once in my in my professional cricketing lifetime. And it's definitely happened more times than that in my life lifetime. Uh, it's, people forget, you know, the, when when things got better for England, when England eventually won the Ashes and eventually became the number one test side in the world. So Ashes 2005, which was after a, a very, very steady progression of results up until that point, then it got better and better until number one in the world 2010-11. Championship cricket was played on white pitches you got spinners at the back end of the game, quicker quicker bowlers, bowlers who had a little bit of something more than just line and length at, at 78 miles an hour were were the guys that you wanted. Um, and as a result of that, your your cricketers were harder, better, better prepared for, for test match cricket. And we've gone in the last 10 years, or it's probably even less than that, it's probably the last seven, eight years, we've gone miles as far away from that as you could imagine.
2: And just on a simple, Simplistic level to answer the question. What was the guy's name? Jack. Jack, well I I think if you if you're used to taking loads of wickets week in week out and then you get your chance to play test cricket, then it doesn't necessarily feel like too much of a jump to continue what you're already doing. If you're not really scoring that many runs in first class cricket, then you get a test call up and you're expected to score big runs at that level. That's going to be really difficult when you're not even really doing it to the level that you would like mm. at the level beneath that. So I think I mean that's quite a simplistic response to it, but I th- I think that is a big part of it. Ollie Robinson has been full of confidence for years now. He's just used to taking wickets, and he's very skilled at doing that. Um, with Robinson, I'm I'm quite hopeful. W- looking at what he does, I'm quite hopeful that he can have some success in Australia, just because he's so consistent. But you know, look, we'll, we'll see if that if that plays out or not. But um, he certainly made uh, an incredible start to his to his Test career. I'm sure there must be loads of stats that you're you're digging up now, Yaz. But he must be. He must be kind of on to be up there with the kind of fastest to 50 wickets or on, on course for that kind of stuff.
0: I haven't checked, but he must be. Get in there. It must yeah. be, yeah. This is, this, is, this, is you, this is when you come alive. <laughs> um, Ty, what did you make of Overton's return to the Test side? First test in uh, two years. Um, all the first four games ended in defeat for England. Since then, he's averaged 13 in first-class cricket. I thought he was very good. Oh, yeah. I mean... He's been unfortunate that he's had to wait two years to get this go because he's been pretty much
3: on the money since he was dropped. Uh, since he played that Ashes Test in 2019, he's been on the money in first-class cricket. He immediately, I think, went on that Lions tour, bowled well alongside Robinson uh, in that win over Australia, A, exceptional in Bob Willis Trophy last year, um, and then just been tearing it up in the Championship this year. Um, there was that thing about he, you know, he he told me this as well that he'd kind of worked on. You know, trying to be, you know, be bowling at a hundred percent all the time in the County Championship because he'd been told by Ed Smith that he had to try and basically become a bit quicker, and he, you know, made his run up more intense. We, we, I, I don't know if there's been a noticeable increase in his pace. I think he's kind of still bowling the same pace. I don't, know. um, but he was just—it's just his accuracy is there. Um, he gets just enough, you know, out of the pitch, you know, in these conditions, um and yeah i mean he, he was it was an encouraging performance but it's also the fact that he was kind of following up after anderson and robinson kind of torn through it so you you kind of still waiting to see what he can do when you know the, the 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 first two guys have kind of struggled and whether he could prize that breakthrough actually to be fair to him in that first um in india second innings he was the one who got who got rohit out uh, if i'm correct um oh, no sorry he got KL rahul out he got you know he got that first breakthrough um, but yeah, really, really encouraging. And also the fact that is that he, he can bat as well. So he is someone who I can kind of see slotting in at a number eight position um, when England kind of need it. Right right now, I mean, Wokes is coming back
1: in um, and Karen's still there. Isn't that, um, that an incredible thing about... I mean, slightly going off, off subject, but... England couldn't balance the balance the, the the lineup without Ben Stokes, but now they 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 could balance the lineup unbelievably. But they've decided to play three or all, three all rounders. <laughs> they've got Moeen Alley, Sam Curran, and uh, and James uh, Craig Overton all in the side as kind of bowling all rounders, batting from from seven down to nine or whatever it is. Give it. I mean, it's kind of like seriously. <laughs> What, what are you doing you, you know you you're overbalancing it now you know you could pick another specialist batter or you could pick a spin bowler some there's lots of been lots of stuff about what's happened jack leach basically they don't fancy him i mean i think i don't think i can say that any any clearer than than what we've seen already they don't fancy him. they don't think he's good enough and I'm, af- I'm afraid they've they've lost two years of his career for him i'm afraid but um i hope that answers that question but you know <laughs> what i mean it's kind of you're looking at the way that the side is selected at the minute and all of these guys as you quite rightly say are kind of in there because of their all-round contributions. Um,
2: what is Sam Curran's all-round contribution at the moment? Well, no, it's I, not really. Well,
1: you could have left him out. You could have left him out yeah. of both of the last two. They've sessions, shown a lot of
2: faith in, in him yeah, in this summer. I, I they don't. They I'm don't not need sure to he's going to play him. at the Oval. No, well, there's, there's the, no need, is there? I, I assumed he wouldn't, but then Root really quite leapt to his defence when he was asked about the the balance of the sides uh, post match. I guess at that point, what else are you going to say other than defend your guy? That's the right thing to do. Mm. But it did sort of the way he said. We always know with Sam there's something exciting around the corner, and that they might be at the Oval, maybe playing at his home ground might be another little temptation to to keep him in that side. But uh, it Wokes his fit, which has to be kind of in doubt given how little he's bowled. I mean, he's he's absolutely in there. But I'd go if he's not, then I'd go Mark Wood anyway. I think I'd get I'd probably get Wood back in there.
0: And Overton 8, Robinson 9 is fine.
2: Absolutely. I think Robinson's a, a decent enough number 9. I think that's fine. And and in time, I think Overton's probably a bit a bit of a better batsman they're giving him credit for. Uh, and I think he he could be really handy.
0: Yeah, I think on, on Overton, I thought it was quite interesting. So when he played his first ODI against Pakistan, Crickviz tweeted out that his pace in that game was identical to his pace in his ODI debut three years prior. And I think some people, because there was so much about how he put on an extra yard of pace... Were then a bit like, oh, actually, has he got that much better? He's only been taking county championship games, but I think, I think he has. I think I thought he looked really good. I think the point you made about how relentless he was—that this summer there's been a drop off at times from when Anderson Robson in bowling and then the first change box come on—and there wasn't that at all with Overton. Um, but you were right; there were lots of questions about Jack Leach, um, and I, I think it's quite interesting that because Jack Leach has got really good career numbers, but he's played a lot of Test matches in Asia. Um, there's a stat the other day that. Moeen Alley, since Joe Root became England captain, averages twenty five with the ball in home test matches. They really rate Moeen Ali as a as a spin bowler. For weird for, for one reason or another, he's not really played that much recently. But they really do back him. And you know the wicket to take. I know it was only Mohammadami, but what a ball that was! <laughs> what a delivery that was!
2: And um, the ones to get Chadeja in the mm, previous tests. yeah, as well. I, I mean, but, he's I mean still... he's a,
1: but he is a genuine all rounder. I mean, this is the thing. He's a, as, as, he's as, he's as genuine an all rounder as Ben Stokes is a genuine, genuine all rounder. When you consider that Stokes is actually playing more as a batsman nowadays, who comes on to put out a fire or to kind of take a wicket when nobody else can. I Mowin mean, Ali's role in an England side, he could bat he could, I mean it's not I'm not saying that he should, but he could bat from anywhere from five down to seven. Um, and gives you and, and gives you a guaranteed spin option even when you're you're reticent to play one, to have one. Um, so you know that it makes absolute sense that he should have been every team that England have picked this summer, given that they have no interest in playing Jack Leach, either as the as, as, as the number one spinner in a in a in a five man attack a holding bowler in a four in a four man attack or when england have every all round position under the sun covered just as somebody that might be needed to win you the game late on in day 5 they don't fancy him at all um and therefore i think the the kindest thing for them to do is just to cut him loose because it's you know his 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 treatment at, post-the-India tour has been nothing short of horrendous.
2: A tour which he bowled really well in. Well, exactly. When, if I man, thought that might be a bit of a turning point where they man, did start to show some faith correct. in him.
1: If a man does, come can come back from India, and we know what the conditions were like, we're not going there again. But if you, a man comes back from India, having bowled at some of the greatest players of spin, you know, that's with inverted commas, quotation marks, um been successful in India, comes back full of confidence, bowled a shed load of overs, been by far and away England's most effective performer on the entire trip, barring Joe Root, and then just does not even get a sniff. They will do anything but play a a genuine or a specialist spin bowler. They'd rather play seven seamers and no batters whatsoever than pick Jack Leach, you would see. Then, you know, you're kind of wasting your time. And I I feel, I really do feel for him. I really do. Especially
2: the way that India tour went as well, because that, when he, remember when he got taken down by Pant in that, in that first test Uh, it was the first test wasn't it and you thought, God, this his talk could actually be over basically after this spell. It was it was that kind of brutal. Well, and- because
1: Dom because Don Best, don't forget, in the, in the first test match and in, in Sri Lanka before that, had kind of, you know, had taken more wickets, just moot whether he bowled better than yeah. or not, but he'd kind of gone gone ahead of him At that the, point, absolutely, and was ahead yeah. of him in the pecking order anyway, because he'd played as the lone spinner when, when they played one in the in the win in South Africa too. Yeah. So um, you know, he was kind of he was on his way out the door.
2: And then he fought back from that and then bowled Robert Sharn with an absolute beauty, which kind of really set set up that that victory charge. Uh, and I, yeah, I, I interviewed him at that time and I think he thought it was perhaps quite a significant turning point. I was on board with that. I, I wrote that he now deserves a proper chance to be England's frontline spinner. He hasn't been helped. I completely agree with Butch. I don't think they do have faith in him, whatever the circumstances. He definitely hasn't been helped by Stokes' absence as well. That has caused a kind of recalibration of what the team should look like uh, and they might well have not gone back to Moen uh, if Stokes was there I think mm. um, but yeah even so it, yeah, yeah I agree they, it, whether it's Root or whether it's Silverwood where it's both they don't they don't fancy him.
3: Even with the Stokes is absent I I also don't think Jack Leach is that bad a batsman you know I think it, it's kind of there's always that sense of worry that oh with Leach in there that just spans a tail but you know he's not He's not a total bunny. I mean he can he can hold his own with the bat. He's got test perc in 92. Um but I mean I do still think that Moeen Ali I think you know I think Moeen Ali deserves to be in the team and if you're going to judge a spinner by the best stock ball they produce I th- I still think Moeen Ali is has got the best stock ball as a spinner in England and kind of merits his place even if even if he wasn't you know the batsman that he is I think as a spinner I think I would I would have Moeen Ali in there. Mm.
1: I suppose the question we've got now is, is Josh Butler's not playing is he in this Test match so um, what's, what what has been the squad change there has it been Ollie Pope who's
0: come back in? So yeah it? the spare batsmen who weren't playing the last Test match are Pope and Lawrence and Sam Billings is in the squad as cover
2: and Lawrence is playing for Essex at the moment yeah. uh, and Pope is not playing against Durham mm-hmm. so it's assumed that Besto comes in to keeps and, and, and Pope comes in as to uh, mm. well, that Durham
0: the, game is called off so I don't know what the original plan, plan was plan would have been yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah would, would you just bring in Pope
2: yeah well I think I've made it pretty clear I've been kind of itching to get him back in whenever the opportunity arises and this feels like a, a good way to do it and actually the form that Butler's been in you could argue this is probably strengthening England's batting at a time when it's quite useful to do so Um yeah, it's the sort of, if things go really well, you might start to wonder if Butler can kind of get, get back in again, that, that his place is still not kind of solidified quite enough, but um, especially with him making noises that he might not necessarily fancy the ashes this winter as well. Uh, so yeah, big, big, big test for Pope on his comeback if he does come back in. And a big test for Besto as well, who's desperate always been desperate to show he's a, he's a wicketkeeper batsman he wants to do both and, and now here's his chance to, to grab it back again
3: pope's never played a test at the oval where he averages 100 in first class cricket so he's at seven we got seven. to pick him on
2: that haven't you yeah. anyway <laughs> really
0: at the very least he can be the oval specialist so only yeah. plays the oval death match <laughs> um just quickly on joe root obviously imperious again uh, there's a video on the england social media pages uh, of every scoring shot from that innings in like a two minute clip which is just amazing because he middles pretty much everything um, But can you think of comparable runs of form from English batsmen years gone by Vaughan Vaughan
1: 2002 2003 so I think the India the India series in 2002 at home I think he might have got I think he had a bit had a bit of difficulty in the 190s I think in that um, <laughs> good
0: problem to have. Good problem to have. The nervous uh, nineties, and, and then yeah. he
1: carried that on. He carried that on, obviously, to the Ashes two thousand yeah. two three, which is you know, I think that run was as as well as I've seen anybody play for England, or actually, and that might even that and I don't think I might have said this before, where in Australia that winter, I think he played as well as anybody I've seen from any country at any time. Um, you know, in a in a team that was getting getting properly battered in in that Ashes series. He was unbelievably good. It's so a, yeah, I mean that that would be another Yorkshireman. But, the start yeah.
2: to uh, Strauss's test career as well, which I think often gets a little bit forgotten because of what he be- he became a batsman rather than a uh, sorry a captain rather than a batsman in many people's mind. But the start of his test career was phenomenal. Three three hundreds in that South Africa tour was it three? I think
0: yeah, and crazy numbers off his first
2: year. Yeah, yeah ridiculous. I mean, and he wasn't he didn't dominate in the way that. That Vaughan did in that period, uh, not quite the same way, and he wasn't quite as beautiful to watch as as Root is. But in terms of output, there was a period in Strauss's career where he was right up there with the best opening batsman in the world.
0: Mm, I guess, kind of Trot, Peterson cook in the early 2000s all had their own little stints with a very bell's ashes yeah
3: but the thing is that so you talk about Strauss and that's before he became a captain
0: um, and with cook
3: it's reference to 2011 when he was at speak but this is before he was captain mm. so i'm actually interested to know whether this is probably one of the best runs in england captains ever had
1: gooch maybe you'd have to you'd have to look at ga gooch's numbers around the time where he was making the 333 and the mm. But it's a really good against the West Indies. But yeah, it's
2: a really good point you make, and especially yeah. when you consider all the other stuff that's been flying around over the last kind of six, nine, twelve months. He could be forgiven for what, not being what able do you mean? to, and
1: England being basically not very good. You well, mean, and, well, that, his team being terrible. Well, that definitely, yeah. <laughs> but
2: also the external things that he's had to deal with. There have been so many things that I think he's had to deal with more than any England captain before him, probably. Um, and yeah, he could be forgiven for not being able to think necessarily 100% clearly when he goes out there but he seems to have found just an incredible space
3: and you can kind of imagine like an england captain just getting the job and having this kind of run so like when cook big first became captain he obviously went to india had a really good run it's almost like that honeymoon period but this is roots of sort of four years into the job where you should be sort of worn down by it and he's kind of gone completely the other way where he's kind of like smiling and like oh this isn't this great he and then he would his vows yeah, and just, yeah, exactly, and yeah.
2: just. Um, and there have been a lot of pieces written. I, thought, I think Phil might have written one actually that he had to be relieved of the captaincy in order to rediscover his his batting prowess, which you know wasn't an outlandish thing to claim at the time. Yeah, because so everyone for, was claiming yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> so for him to have to basically have done both yeah. uh, is is astonishing. I just think he deserves so much credit, and he's just so good to watch. Mm. Um,
0: Back on India, Kohli was stubbornly defending the balance of his side after the game, effectively saying it's the top six's job score runs, so there's no point adding extra batting depth and expecting that to change everything. Um, Ishant Sharma bowled weirdly badly, I thought. Do you think they'll make any changes for the four tests? They've, they've got to pick Usher. <laughs> yeah. I just yeah.
3: like. I mean, you know, this is uh, you were talking earlier about whether this was uh, the India tour 2014 or Ashes 2011 for me this is like this is this comparison is never going to be made again but this is Ashwin is is, is the Bresnan here he comes <laughs> in for the four test he has to he's the best self spinner in the world and he's, he's on the bench and you know there's obviously there's a logic to you know just having Jadeja on that side but this just feels like the moment
2: is You've Jadeja been... doubtful as well he had not there was an injury concern wasn't there
0: yeah I think he's okay I think okay. he's okay um, and yeah, we quite... to play both
2: potentially. Yeah,
0: I think so. I think so. Jadeja's I don't bold. think
2: about Ashwin at seven either. Not in a, not when your top six mm. is struggling as that. And you've is... got that tail as well. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, yeah. I, th- I, th- I mean, there's been chat that Jadeja might go, even go up to six and Pant seven because Pant struggles. But I don't think that will happen. Um, I just think um, I think Shane Warne made
3: this point as well, where he sort of uh, outlined that Jadeja's is almost like your your fourth seamer. Like he's just not going to go for any, and then Ashwin's your spinner, and that's, that's totally yeah. Relevant. I I mean, like I like, he just, he I like that yeah. logic.
1: I do I do like that logic. I mean, look, I I actually also quite like the very old fashioned idea that your batters are there to bat and your bowlers there to take wickets. I do I do like that. I think there's a certain um, there's a certain sort of uh, up yours about that that whole, whole way of thinking. You know, um, whether or not India have got the right blokes on the park. Is another thing, and the Ashwin question is always is always the one. How how can any team afford to leave out a guy with his sort of numbers? But um, I don't. I'm not sure that India are going to panic on the on the basis of of a terrible first innings at heading there. I really don't. Um, the Ashan thing is an interesting one. He, he's a bit rusty, wasn't he? Coming into the Test match and just bowled poorly
0: mm. he got um, well at, the, at Laws though it wasn't as if like he hadn't paid for ages and that was his first death match back no, and he was, yeah that, that's why wrong. I thought it was quite interesting but I
1: mean he has I mean he's his, he has sort of um history with Laws doesn't he Um and maybe maybe the the sideways slope at one ground and the up and down slope at the other kind of threw <laughs> off. I don't know I mean imagine I mean, we, we might get to this when we get to the quarterfinals and the, the blast and stuff but imagine the, the the, the grounds that we play on in this country, in comparison <laughs> to Faria, you can't have a flat one. Can't have a flat pitch. Can't have a, can't have an oval yeah. shaped ground. But anyway, mm. look, it, you know that that you wouldn't legislate for that, would you? A player of his experience and a player with his, you know, his, his career arc, which has gone, which has gone upwards, hasn't it? Can you have an upward arc? I suppose you can.
0: Yeah, I, I think the the two pitches coming up could really suit Ashwin as well. Because you got that six for sorry at the Oval, and Manchester has been spinning all summer, so uh, that could be. Interesting. Um, a question from one of our regular listeners, The Runout Blog asks, how hard is it um, to add a shot to your game or grow the confidence to implement it in a test match? And how much of it's purely confidence? Ollie Robinson said that he only learnt his new wobble seam ball that nips in last week from Anderson, yet implemented that to good effect. How different is that from a batter to a bowler to learn and implement something new?
1: Um, I don't know. I think I, I think if you are... I think if you are technically sound enough, you can add, add and subtract these things pretty, pretty straightforwardly. But um, for example, the the wobble seam, I'm guessing, is is basically a, a a change in the way that you hold your fingers on the seam of the ball, and the rest of your action doesn't change at all. So it's just sort of getting used to releasing the releasing the ball with the fingers a bit wider, then a little bit sort of closer together on the seam, and that really shouldn't change
0: a great deal. Do so basic saying- Bowling is easier than batting. No, no, no. I'm ba- what I'm basically saying is, is that you can
1: do you can do both things. If you, mm. for example, um, you know, uh, India tour of 2000 and 2001, the only India tour I went on, you know, kind of pitches were slow and, and slow turners, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I kind of I kind of developed um, a, f- a sort of a fine sweeping game or a game where I could sweep anywhere from mid wicket round to round to fine leg, and it wasn't something that I did at home. Because you didn't need to, you had a little bit more pace on the ball to get it through extra cover and in front of square. But on those pitches, it was it was kind of well, I'm going to have I'm going to have to do this, and so I you know I can't remember who I worked with on it. It might have been was Thorpey there? No, it might have been Duncan or, or somebody. Just just a way of being able to to change change where I had my where I got the bat as the ball was being released. So I'd actually try and sort of point the toe of the bat down the down the pitch early in order to be able to then be in the right position to decide how fine or whatever it was. And you did that between the first warm up game and the first and the first test match. It wasn't much used to be in the first test, but it was in the second. But you know what I mean, you kind of you just have to you have to think on your feet sometimes. Um, and as long as you're not as long as you're not sort of rebuilding or having to rebuild an entire technique in order to bring in a shot or in a delivery, it really shouldn't be that difficult for people who are as, as highly skilled as guys playing test matches should be.
2: Just just related to that, I enjoyed, it was a clip I saw on wisdom.com of uh, an Indian journalist giving Virat Kohli's mm. and his team some technical advice on batting, uh, saying that they should be playing more off the back foot. Kohli uh, said well, the balls are all quite full deliveries, <laughs> and he said, "Yeah, but India seems to be missing chances on the back foot." And Kohli's look there—I mean, honestly, if looks could kill—but he, he stayed remarkably restrained. Yeah, I, and he, always- just, he kind of a period of silence. Just said, "Okay, thanks," right, and then <laughs> thanks, for thanks for your help. So, I mean, you know,
1: technically, they, they batted absolutely superbly in the, in the first two Test matches. Right, they, they outbatted England's England's top order against the moving and swinging ball. Um, to up ab- to an absolutely huge degree. And then nicked them all at Headingley, you know. Yeah. I mean that's that, that's kind of part of the reason why we why we're sort of all looking at this and trying to explain it. Sometimes there's nothing to explain. Mm-hmm. They nicked them all on at Headingley and they missed them all at, at Lords and at, at Trent Bridge. But technically they still played in it almost exactly the same way as they did. And I guess one thing about one thing about top order batting against the moving ball is this is that you might be technically sound, you might have have it all right, and you might have made runs in the first two test matches, but eventually you it's going to get you, you know, and the concentration required to kind of rein yourself in and be disciplined outside of stump and play straight and not look to sort of get out of your box and look, look to drive uh, balls that are not quite there becomes quite a difficult thing to kind of to hold on to over a five test match series. You might be able to do it for four innings, but can you do it for ten? You know, and that that in itself is, is a challenge to batters. It's not something you can see in technique and with split screens, but that's something that goes on in the mind. It's like, Christ, am I seriously, am I going to have to not play this cover drive for another test match, <laughs> you know? And eventually you have a go at one. Oh, shit, that's why I've been leaving it, you know what I mean? That's <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's just batting. That's the that's the beauty of a five-test match series where you go up against the same bowlers. If you manage to, to last a series without getting dropped, you go up against the same bowlers time and time again. They're very good. You're very good. Um, they'll win sometimes you'll
0: win sometimes hmm. I thought Coley was remarkably retrain, not just because of that question which by the way how is playing a little bit more off the back foot going to stop you nicking balls at swinging that are full I mean it <laughs> doesn't make any sense um, but, but also in terms of uh, like he actually gets loads of questions like that so it was a 15 minute press conference after they've just lost by an innings And a lot of the questions were just lacking subtlety, and like basically saying, "So and so, your team's doing really badly. What do you think?" Like (laughs) that's that's really hard to deal with.
2: Particularly in India, obviously, when there are a lot of Indian journalists and the press conferences last a bit longer, they are often quite tense affairs because they really Mm. do give them a grilling and in quite specific ways. That I think that the questions that yeah are certainly more. pointed yes perhaps than the english journalists yeah which you know is, is quite fun to watch yeah, it quite, is, quite it is. enjoy it but it's <laughs> certainly a bit tense
0: yeah um well we're recording the podcast over the next few weeks from sixes cricket club if you haven't heard about sixes sixes cricket club is a new cricket themed social entertainment venue with a restaurant bar and cricket nets all wisdom podcast listeners can receive 10 percent off their food and drink by quoting wisdom 10 on their booking notes joe what's your moment of the week
2: um so my moment of the week um Actually, kind of relates to the last quarterfinals, which I think we're going to come on to. But it was uh, less than 48 hours after Sussex had pulled off a win against Yorkshire. Uh, Rashid Khan playing one of the most watchable innings uh, you could ever imagine. Some outrageous shots in that. Um, But yeah, the press release came through from Sussex announcing that Phil Salt and Chris Jordan would both be leaving the club at the end of the season. Uh, Chris Jordan's going back to Surrey to be their T20 captain. Phil Salt is off to Lancashire. Uh, Jordan's a massive loss, I mean he's a world-class bowler but you can kind of see he's at that point in his career you can see why he'd want that challenge I think Salt leaving a kind of homegrown player who's still yet to reach his peak that would have been particularly gut-wrenching for Sussex and Sussex fans and Rob Andrew their Chief Executive, did a did a video I guess to kind of allay the fears of fans I watched it, it wouldn't have allayed my fears particularly <laughs> um he said you just got to respect their decisions which obviously you do but there's a a kind of fundamental issue here where you've got uh some of the best young players or just best players in general in chris jordan's uh situation uh who want to go and play at test match ground counties or or counties that host 100 obviously is pretty much the same thing Uh, and counties like sussex are going to suffer and." Sussex have had a miserable year in county championship in terms of their record, but there's been that kind of thing where they're trying out these youngsters, they're building for the future. T20 is their thing. T20 is what they can win each year and they've got a good chance of doing so this year. If they're going to lose players like Salt and Jordan, they're not going to be competing for that either. And Sussex fans are going to start to think, well, what are we competing in?
0: Yeah, is it is it the money, do you think, that just the bigger counties just have more money? That, that's that been happening for a while, hasn't it? That, that, you, that there was a theory that you you need to be a bigger division one county the the, the conference system changes that now but in terms of money that's that how does that change money <laughs> must be a huge factor well it, it
1: is it you know Chris, Chris Jordan would, was not doing very badly not doing badly down at Sussex he was one of the few sort of senior guys they've got down there they wouldn't be paying very much for Archie and go. Um and they all get the same amount of cash from the centre I think I think perhaps in what you're saying there is some truth but not in the way that you mean it in that Sussex is early part of the season in the championship you're right they're completely and utterly uncompetitive now yes they can win the win the blast. The fact that they have been playing in a in a in a first class setup that has not been particularly competitive um, has not changed. Uh, has not changed anything in terms of those players want to want to be at Sussex. What has changed is that you're playing on a large amount of your cricket in a team that is getting pumped the whole time, um, and the grass looks greener elsewhere. Now that's happened since the dawn of time. It kind of doesn't matter that there's that there's no hundred team at, at, at Sussex because you know players moved before there were hundred teams. You know they would go towards the you know the bigger cities and whatever. I think the the, the issue is is that if you if you are if you're setting yourself up as Sussex are for sort of some renaissance down the line and in the future, how long are you able to keep hold of players who have ambitions, higher ambitions in all forms of the game, white ball and red ball, if you're surrounded by youngsters who don't really know a great deal and you're getting pumped the whole time? I know if if I was 25, 26 and kind of wanted to play for England... But your team, the team you're playing in, is terrible. You'd be thinking to yourself, you know, what I've got, I've got no chance if I stay here. I'm going to have to go somewhere else.
0: And,
2: but the um, two things are linked, as well, aren't they? And that, so the hundred hosting venues are taking a cut of ticket sales. So counties that don't host the hundred are missing out in that sense. So that that gulf is beginning to widen, well, which only really exacerbate it, the issue but that you we're could, But you about.
1: can, you, I don't think you can argue that after one after one season. I don't think Phil Salt's decision to leave Sussex is going to be based on whether, the,
2: you know. He had. A, he's. But it might be. It might influence what Lancashire can offer him if they know what's what's coming well, through the door.
1: Yeah, but there is there is a salary cap. You know, there are all of these all of these clubs have have salary caps. There are obviously packages and things that go along with all that kind of thing. Um, but I, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have thought that I wouldn't have thought that that would have made a massive amount of difference. To be honest with you.
2: Uh, just to add on that as well, that uh, Steve Finn has has left Middlesex to go to Sussex, so I guess is being go. brought in as a as a sort of like-for-like replacement for Jordan but the reality is even though they're both 32 which surprised me when I looked that up earlier um, Jordan is a a much higher point in his career than Finn who seems to be kind of on the decline so Sussex fans I don't think will see that as a like-for-like replacement Mm. really Mm.
0: and I guess from Lancashire's point of view as well they've lost Alex Davies who is one of the best keeper batsmen in the country to Warwickshire so that just needed filling and Salt would be one possibly top of the list of players to go for in the country. Ty, what's your moment of the week?
3: well like joe mentioned rashid khan <clears throat> that knock for sussex to send them through to to finals day um because he's such a ridiculously talented bowler you know the best t20 bowler in the world really um you kind of forget how exciting he is as a batsman and so sussex were kind of they were kind of down and out when he sort of walked into bat um and then he just smashes 27 off 9 um and he plays these shots and you know, they've just got these like extra little flourishes to them. It's, but you were there, right? There was a, yeah. I mean, yeah. nice kind bit of, of country in one of those shots. Yeah, as he, did, yeah, he Played yeah. it over the top and yeah, did a ridiculous
2: thing yeah, yeah. with he was like that. It's completely pointless, <laughs> but it looks yeah, great, yeah. and we love them yeah, for yeah, it. Yeah, we love some <laughs> of that. Yeah.
1: I think. I think. Well, you know, the, my um, uh, my gripes about that that game and what Yorkshire did to it and for it um have been well documented. But I think you know, part of that was that innings. I think when he was on about seven, he hit one out to point. And you had that ridiculous, um, that ridiculous angle on the on the boundary where the boundary went from being you know decent size to uh, to very very small within a space of about ten yards because it was on some kind of isosceles triangle angle back and he and Rashid Khan would have been out he'd have been caught at cover point but unfortunately as the fielder started to move to his left he started to move outside of the. <laughs> outside the line of the fence because the fence didn't go round like it normally would it went across and so he ended up going from he would have caught it about a meter inside the line <laughs> of the boundary had it been normal but as it was it ended up a long way over it went for six and he went on to win in the game yeah. which, give, which
2: made me laugh a lot we should give some context to that shouldn't we for those who didn't see that game that uh that Yorkshire were playing at Durham because the test match was at Headingley and they tried to recreate the dimensions mm. of their ground at Durham which meant these kind of green expanse which just wasn't being used which would look very odd and these kind of right angle yeah uh,
0: i find it interesting how specifically they did it so it wasn't just like oh that that one's shorter but they, they got the right angles in and also uh, they put the, they actually sent an email
1: specifying the degree the angles degrees and the exact length the distance between the stumps and the bat. i mean it was utterly and you had huge swathes of outfield sort of sitting outside of this and we're tucked up into a corner of the ground at Chester Street. It was utter nonsense. And, and it, I guess
2: fans must have been... Because fans wouldn't have necessarily understood what was going on. I don't know how that, how you'd translate that to them. So they must mm, be thinking, well, you turned <laughs> up for yeah. a, a game, because like, why aren't they using Harper's Field? And also, I
1: mean, to make it, you know, fine, do what you want. It's, it's your home game, do what you like, if you think that's going to help you out, whatever. But then to do that and then win the toss and decide that you were going to defend on a pitch that was net, on, a, on an outfield that was now... Like a Sabutio pitch, it was so small. I was just kind of, like, I'm like, what are you doing? And they lost. It's, oh, quite,
0: well. <laughs> it's quite interesting, though, that <laughs> I do not think I had realised that he- heading these outfield was was so much smaller than the ground oh, like Chester Street. <laughs> um, but yeah, I thought I thought, it was, I thought it was completely fair enough. You you earn a home quarter final, and their home record was very good, and their away record was rubbish. So I it was completely.
1: Well, you earned the right to enough. make a decision. one. No, no, you, you made yeah. a the, you made the right? yeah. decision. Yeah, I mean, I, I just would have, I might have. Again, watching the way that see. It's it's all very well and good to say this is how we've done it at Headingley, but don't forget that you're not playing at Headingley. You're playing somewhere else, right? There's, there are no slopes. The, the pitch is different, all this kind of stuff. So I might have looked at what Durham did to win. Durham would play on the biggest out, expanse outfield as you like. They would they would bat first, yes, but they would play on a big big field and make it very very difficult for a team to chase whatever down you know whatever totals down that they'd made. Um, fine, but if you're going to make the ground very very tiny. Then you might have a think about chasing, even though you've not done that particularly particularly well at home. Mm. Um you know, and they got beat. You mm. go.
0: Um Butch, you, you you covered um the all, all four quarterfinals, right? Yeah. All four. Yeah. Um how How did you find it compared to the month of cricket you saw before that in the hundred I, specifically I mean you had yeah. really good finishes the, the 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 knotts game was completely bonkers the finish there but I thought watching personally watching the Somerset game in front of a packed house and seeing how much the fans were into it mm-hmm. and also the players as well. So Tom Abel after the game was actually quite emotional. I think uh, David Hops from Quick Info said he interviewed him the day before the game, and you almost thought that Abel was too pumped up mm. twenty four hours out of the game. What what was that like to cover compared to? The well, 100? I mean
1: Taunton is it, it, if you've covered as many Blast games as I have over the last ten years or so, Taunton's always one of the best place for for one of those nights. Anyway, um, always great support, hugely into into the cricket. All you know, love the the home players. You know, but. People like Max Waller, who's not even playing, kind of cult hero down there. You know, the whole thing is it's brilliant. It's a great place to go and to go and um, broadcast um, cricket from. And so there was no surprises there. Obviously, there's, there was a bit of there was a bit of feeling from some of the supporters while we were doing our top of the show. They were abu- hurling abuse at us over the uh, you know into the microphones as we're trying to you know set up the game because it was our fault, of course. That, um, the, the being was being played, on the hundreds. for being yeah for being from Sky and for for commentating on the hundred. So there was people yelling abuses and Then the game game got on and it was superb. You know, you kind of I kind of thought that Somerset chasing a little bit of dew, whatever. Uh, they they should have ended up chasing two hundred plus, but they they bowled brilliantly and fought back incredibly well. Roared on by their home fans and and Tom Abel, who I think is a very very fine cricketer. Um, and of the two, there's two guys at the minute, two uncapped players. Um, for England at the minute that I think will not stay that way for very long. One of them's Abel and the other one's Harry Brook. Um, and so, so to answer, what, for,
2: what formats do you think for those two? Just? Well, either.
1: Any. any. So I say either. You know, as white and red. Um, but yeah, but any. Um, and so not, it it did not surprise me whatsoever. I mean, starved of, of cricket. They hadn't had a game down there for a month. So everyone was bouncing out of their skins to come down and play uh, to to watch. So brilliant. And and nothing that we haven't seen from towards before, nothing that was not un, not unexpected. Um, not was interesting. I mean, so, so a couple of the grounds, couple of the grounds in the hundred. And this is this is not cheerleading for one against the other, or anything like that. I'm just observing what I've seen. Birmingham was very very interesting because uh, Edgebeston. I have not seen apart from finals day. You do not get don't get crowds like the, the ones that we've seen at, at the hundred games. And you do not get an atmosphere like the ones we've had at the games so at, at Birmingham. Trent Bridge, different. Trent Bridge, they would regularly regularly probably get more fans in for, for Nottinghamshire playing than did for the 100. Um, there's a couple of reasons for that, potentially. One is that so much of the stands get taken up by stages and goodness knows whatever else. But also people genuinely love their, their night out to watch the Outlaws play. And why not? They've been the most successful, one of the most successful teams in it. So... Um, th- Oddly subdued at, at Trent Bridge. Part of that was because of a, a two-week-old pitch that sort of stopped the stopped the ball from being hit out of the park. And then you had that incredible turnaround, that incredible finish where the Hampshire boys all ended up lying on top of each other at the end. You know, fact, absolutely. But thank God it ended up as a good finish because before that it was utterly dire. Uh, <laughs> and and, it, and that annoyed me. Annoyed me from the from the point of view that you that county cricket has been. Um, you know, has been missed and has been maligned and you f- you can fill the ground up and yet you don't provide the sort of surface which will provide the sort of entertainment that will have everybody, um, you know, everybody bouncing up and down and, and saying what a great thing, haven't we missed it and, and shouldn't this be the way that we do it always? Um, but what you did end up with was a great finish which you can't legislate for, but it happened. Thank God it happened because otherwise it would have been a bad old night. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, it was... It's, I've... I've been so much in support of the hundred for the last four or five years because on the every year it has seemed to me on the in the last four or five years that things have been going upwards that the, the support has been there and people have followed it. Um, obviously, you've got no um, uh, free-to-air television in that, and obviously so you mean the blast, in the, yeah, it yes, the blast. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, the blast. Obviously, you've got no free-to-air television pumping that up outside, and you've had no you know no marketing budget. No one spent any money marketing the the blast since two thousand and three. Um,
0: I'd love for the quarterfinals to be on free to air television. Yeah, I mean, well, especially maybe, when if they're going to be so soon after maybe, 100 as well. Maybe there's maybe
1: there's something in that for for the powers that be to look at. Um, uh, but you know, in, t- in terms of was one was one better than the other? I mean, Som- Somerset <laughs> Somerset is a different case than anywhere else. I think in the country and you, that you, what you got down there was exactly what you'd expect: parochial, loud, vocal. Loved it. The players kind of responding with a um, with with that sort of passion, um, and everywhere else was was you know was good. You know they were good. They were they were really good. As as a lot of the a lot of the hundred games were were really good. And mm. the only game that ended up being a damp squib was the was the final one where Kent absolutely battered Birmingham mm. Bears. And because cricket is the game that it is, you get close finishes and you get finishes that aren't close. And and nothing between the two formats changes that. Mm. That happens anyway.
2: Mm. So, that's, so your, that's it. Your tips for the championship title. Kent uh, might not have won a game in the championship, not but they yet, are, no. they are in, at finals day. Yes,
0: that's that's true. You've got four, <laughs> got four Sorry, southern I teams. i throw that in. No, there, it's all good. It? I definitely would have brought it up if it was the other way around. Um, four southern teams at finals day, and yeah, Kent are one be. of them. Um, the county championship kicked back into action yesterday. The 18 teams are now split up into three divisions. Um, we're recording this uh, just at the beginning of day two. In Division one, Somerset are uh, without obviously Craig over to with England, but also Lewis Gregory, who will not bowl another ball this summer through injury. Um, not finished the day 280 odd for 650 for Joe Clark. Chris Benjamin scored a ton on his county championship debut, batting at three for Warwickshire against Lancashire. So his dream summer continues as also a day 100 for Sam Hayne, too, his first first class ton since 2019. And it was against a strong Lanx attack. Um, Mahmood and Parkinson both playing there's potentially worrying news for Liam Livingstone he went off the field with a shoulder injury diving by the boundary, didn't look great Um, there's no additional news yet so our fingers are crossed because it could be a huge few months for him if he stays fit Um, and Yorkshire finished day one against Hampshire on 197 for six, Um, each team carried three points from the conference stage of the tournament so Warwickshire start top having beat Nott's in both of their conference game so if they win at length that could be huge in divisions 2 and 3 of oh, the cricket was played. Um <laughs> Anick asks thoughts on the format now we've reached the split. Tar? Well, so the
3: thing is when when the season started and you're kind of thinking, oh, everyone's
0: in it. How how
3: great is this? Like, you know, this this group stage is great. But then there was always that sort of concern where you get to this divisional stage. And division 1, great. You know, six top sides going for it. Brilliant. But then div 2 and div 3 it's just like you are playing four games each and it's just what for i mean you know there's there are arguments to be made that you know this is your opportunity to, to you know get some kids playing and you know develop <laughs> next season but then what's the point of the, the here and now you know why why should, why should people go and watch this really it's it's becoming what um it's becoming what we we talk about with the, the 50 Overcom. it becomes the <laughs> developmental competition because you're not really I don't know. But even then, you're playing for something in that 50-over thing. Here, Division 2, Division 3, I don't really understand what's, what, what you're really going for.
0: And then suddenly two months of the summer is almost developmental cricket, which is which is huge. That's a, well, such I, a significant I, chunk of the summer. I
2: guess the argument is, is the stuff that we've had so far and the Div- one, Division 1 stuff we've got now, is that good enough uh, for this to be the worthwhile trade-off that you have some kind of pretty insipid cricket to finish the season? And I think a lot of people... Before it happened, felt like it would be, and now it's actually here. It's like, God, oh, this is actually quite a lot of cricket with not mm. much hanging on it. And and the argument we we're just talking about this before before the start of this, the argument with blooding young players is, is a strong one to some degree. But if those players are being blooded in in cricket with no intensity, no real nothing hanging on the game, there are so many other young players that actually you're not being thrown into an existing experienced team. You're just playing with another bunch of kids. Well, is that any difference playing under nineteens or playing second eleven cricket? I, I'm not sure. That argument is quite as strong as as I probably myself thought it mm. thought it was when this was talked about. So there are flaws in it, but as we know with county cricket, there's, there is no perfect scenario. But I, I don't know. I'm uh, Daryl Mitchell, who obviously played a lot of county cricket for a long time. Felt this structure was the best that he'd seen in in his time in county cricket. Now he plays for Worcester in Division Three. I wonder what he would say at the end of the season mm. whether he still thinks this is. The way to go, or whether actually his teammates—I don't know if he's actually playing in, in this mm. round of games. Whether his teammates feel like the whole energy has been sucked out of it and them by the end of this thing. Yeah, so
1: I was- I, you know, it's interesting about the, going back to what we were talking about with players moving. I mean, if you if you calculate that the likelihood is your your team isn't going to be quite strong enough to finish in the in the top six and finish up playing Division One cricket where you can win the championship, then you'd be thinking to yourself, I need to get the hell out of here now. I don't want to play four. I'm, I want four championship matches at the end of the season, which most people are thinking are com- a complete waste of time. And I'm with you, I I kind of I looked at it at the beginning and thought, oh, I quite I kinda like this. Um But now it's no, it's no good. You can't you can't have four four championship matches that mean absolutely nothing to to uh, the vast majority of the teams playing, and, I'm afraid.
0: And in the two divisions, we were talking about this earlier. Um but in the two divisions you wouldn't actually have that many dead games. Four games out, enough teams in Division Two would be in with a chance of promotion. That even if you're playing a team at the bottom, um, there's something on it. And and also, I just we talked about Sussex already on the podcast. But if you're if if you've got a club like Sussex, you lose so many players to the hundred, and they're not in Division One. Their season, with the exception of the blast, ends really early on the season basically is done by by july 20th with the exception of potentially three t20 games the other thing is when you
3: say you have two divisions and then you still have of, of course you're still have kind of games that are kind of dead yeah. but you still have to look to the table and see oh okay right this game doesn't really matter but here it's like div two div three dead, right? Yeah. You, you don't even, even have
1: to look. You're not looking at seeing who's playing who and yeah, thinking, yeah. well, they've got something to play for here. They might go up. They might go down. Don't forget the people going down as well. I mean, one of the problems with what with how the, the, the two division thing ended up was because they were trying to manipulate the the, 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 the finishing standings, you'd end up with, what was, what was the, the, was it one team went down or something and three came? I can't remember. They were trying to get 10 in one and eight in the other, weren't yeah. they? I mean, again, you can't have that. I remember at the beginning of two divisions where I think it started off with three up, three down, and that was too many. Two up, two down is just oh, yeah. is fine. <laughs> exactly, of course. Is the two up, two down is the perfect way. And having and now having given this a, a bit of a try and realizing that everybody's still playing fourteen matches, I know we had that slightly lopsided thing in the two divisions where, where one team wouldn't play the other one twice and if you were lucky, that was the worst team in the in the lot, and if you're unlucky, you played the best team or whatever. It was never going to be perfect in order to get to fourteen matches, but at the moment we've got fourteen matches still. Fifteen if you include the, the Bob Willis Trophy for whoever gets through to that to that five day match at the end, um, and yet most of those games don't mean don't mean anything from a hell of a long way out, uh, and that can't stand. So I mean, the only way to do it is to go back to the original, back to the sort of the midway of, of two divisions with two up and two down again, or or have less teams. I mean, that's those are those are your two options. I'm afraid.
2: And the ECB have got an easy get out here, haven't they? They never said this was the new permanent yeah. structure. This was sort of came about through accident and and through COVID circumstances. So no one is going to hammer them if they leave this, but they've got to make that decision. I mean, pretty quickly, mm, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. And. Yeah, I think on balance, I think they'll probably have to Yeah, I think two two divisions will probably be what they end up going back to, but we'll mm. we'll see.
0: Um, England's white ball series against New Zealand gets underway very soon. Their original squad included two on cap players who impressed in the hundred, Charlie Dean and Maya Bouchier. Unfortunately, both will miss the first game of the series after being identified as close COVID contacts. Emma Lamb has been called up. To the squad as a replacement. Um, there's actually a really interesting interview on Ravi Chandran Ashwin's YouTube channel with Kate Cross, um, where they talked quite a lot about the hundred and the prospect of a women's IPL. Um, but there's one interesting bit from Cross on Lamb, um, and Cross talked about how obviously it was brilliant to play in front of big crowds. But she said that for a lot of players, it was quite difficult adjusting to that, having played all of their cricket in front of much, much smaller crowds before. And said that Lamb was one player who played slightly within herself in the 100 in front of bigger crowds, put more value on her wicket um, compared to what she's been doing in the other domestic comps, where she's been one of the players of the summer and been basically smashing it from ball one. So I thought that's quite interesting. Um, and yeah, Tash Farrant is back in the um, squad who bowled very well in the 100, and Frey Davies is another really good t20 bowler who's back in squads
2: so i spoke to lisa kightley on friday for the upcoming issue of wisdom cricket monthly and she was talking about this because it's three t20s and then five odis against new zealand and then there's games in pakistan in october as well Mm -hmm. it's a real chunk of of, of significant cricket Uh, and she said there's gonna be a lot of rotation in in these games she said i think it's five one day in 10 days so she said it's not realistic for everyone to play all those games the best way to keep the side winning is to actually freshen it up keep giving different players to go, which is, is not a luxury they'd have been able mm. to have. Really well, not well, so it's, long that's ago. That's
1: not something they've been very keen to do either. That's true. I mean yeah. Um but I think I think that one thing that has has come out of out of the many great things that have come out of the hundred for the for the women's game is just that there is there are a lot more players around there who are who are very, very close or if not already good enough to be to to play international cricket for the women's team so that's that's great i mean you look if you if you look at the the women's game as though it only started five years ago right sort of or it's got a 10-year history or something and you were kind of trying to do something to elevate everything about it it's it's um visibility it's quality all that type of stuff then you pretty much do what's been done i think um very different for something that's been established for for a hundred odd years in in the men's game. So you're almost talking about co- two completely different outcomes for for the same product. But um,
2: well, it's quite amazing sh- for the women's game. She she said uh, English women's cricket needed the hundred. She said and, and she said they're not. She thinks the gap on Australia is rapidly closing to the point they're almost on a par. She said just that pool of players to choose from is slightly bigger in Australia, but that that gap is being rapidly rapid close you said also it just means she's she's feels much more able to give players debuts knowing that they can cope with the pressure because they've done it or done something similar to it um someone like alice capsey we've mentioned on the show a couple of times before she's not in this squad but from speaking to lisa it's clear that she's very very close and and will play soon i think and she probably wouldn't have been able to give her that that chance uh until well, until she was quite a bit older because she just wouldn't have had that cricket under her belt as it is she's She's seen Oval Invincibles to a match winning total in the Eliminator final in front of a decent crowd and has coped with pressure and has shown not only she's got the talent, but she can deal with all the other stuff around it, which is massive in international cricket.
3: It's nice that you can actually talk about bolters now in sort of selection for women's teams because before it's kind of like you have your pool of centrally contracted players and you know, you're know really just going to pick from there, uh, whereas now someone can kind of come out of the blue. But also w- with Farron that you were mentioning before, um, you know, she's... She was leading wicket taking in the hundreds. She was so good, brilliant at the death, bowls these slow balls, and it's kind of. I'm quite excited to see if if she gets to go as well. Yeah.
2: So also, it's just actually made women's cricket much uh, easier and more enjoyable to cover as well. So I mean, Butch saying that that side barely changed for years. It actually meant from our from a journalistic perspective, you've spoken to everyone. Everyone knows their <laughs> stories. They've been playing that team for ten years together for a lot of them. Now you've got players, young players with different interesting backstories. Uh, who you can talk to learn more about they become role models for different sections of society we just didn't really have that for a while and I think it's it's just made the whole thing so much more vibrant and, and interesting mm, and absolutely. different
0: Absolutely. Um, in the Charlotte Edwards Cup the Northern Diamonds the Vipers and the South East Stars are the three sides to make it through to finals day um, the, the way it works is this, the team with the most points go straight to the final the other two go into a semi-final so the Stars go straight to the final having won five of their six group games Um, Some sad news to finish the show with. Former England captain Ted Dexter passed away last week at the age of 86. Dexter played 62 tests for England between 1958 and 1968. Averaged nearly 48 with the bat and captain England on 30 occasions. That is all we've got time for on today's show. Cheers, Joe. Cheers, Tar, Cheers, Butch. This has been the Wiz and Cricket Weekly podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, tell your friends and we'll be back next week.
2: Sports Social Podcast Network.